Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Awesome thing is right now is there's no clock in here, so I, I don't know when to stop. Whoa, that, that is, that's like the pastor's dream. There is no time. We just get to do what we want, right? Well, yeah, people will yell, I'm hungry. Hey, hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we'll, we want to get one in your hands this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. Hey, we have a, a welcome packet for you at the, um, just directly across the sanctuary here at the Welcome Center. If uh, It just gives you a little bit of information about who we are and, and what we believe. And if you've been coming to Calvary for a while and you're like, oh, man, I, I'd like to have something like that, you can also go to the Welcome Center and just ask for a welcome packet. Uh, there's just a few things in there that talk about who we are and, and all that. And you know who we are, but gives you a little bit more detail about, uh, you know, what we believe and whatnot. So make sure you, you make it there uh, if you can. Uh, we want to also join, we want to welcome our online audience today, man. We, we are back on the line, so praise the God for that. Yeah. Um, you know, technology is awesome when it works, but man, it's so... It's such a pain. It like literally takes years off of your life if it doesn't work. So, you know, but we're thankful that uh, God has worked out a lot of the technical issues and uh, we're, we're actually able to get our stream back online this week. Also, if, if you're joining us uh, via podcast, we are on iTunes and Google Play now, so you can check us out there. You can sign up for that or um, you can go to our website every week and you can check the message out there. Um, so I, I want to start out this morning by asking you a serious question. Now, how many of you have ever felt like uh, God was being unfair with you? Anybody ever felt like that? Like, God, I feel like, see, there's one honest person in here, so praise God for that. There's a couple honest people in here. Listen, we can feel like that at times. You know, maybe maybe you, you encounter some circumstance and you're like, God, I know you're in control. I know that you're sovereign, but why would you put me in this position? Why would you allow this to happen? It's so unfair, right? You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe you're single, and you've been doing the right things. You've been praying. You've been waiting. You've been abiding in Christ. And you're like, uh, you know, my turn's coming up, Lord. You know, you put it in my heart to be married, and I want to be married and all this stuff, and I've been waiting, Lord. And, 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 And then you hear about somebody else getting married. And all of a sudden, it's like, God, you're so unfair. Why isn't it my turn? Why don't I get to be the one to be married? Maybe you're struggling with how you feel or how God created you. Why did you create me this way? You know I pack on, on you know, weight. I don't like it, you know, Lord. I don't want to be toned and all this kind of stuff. I can't believe that you made me this way. You're so unfair. Look at this person. They get to eat what they want, and they stay, you know, like bodybuilders. You know, come on. What's wrong with that? It's so unfair. You know, the reality is that I think what happens in our minds is that we confuse the generosity of God for unfairness. When God is blessing someone else, and he's doing something great in somebody else's life, and we're trying to compare ourselves to them, and we, we say, well, God, you're so unfair because, uh, you know, you've given them that. They're not going through what I'm going through. God is simply being generous. Can he not be generous with his kids? 
Can he not be good to his kids? And, 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 you know, is he not good to you? Has he not been generous with you? And so oftentimes we start to compare our lives with somebody else's life, and we, we, we actually have the audacity to say to God, you're being unfair with me. Well, that's what Jesus wants to talk to us about in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. He wants to talk about the idea of God being equal with all as it relates to salvation. Uh, you'll see in our passage that it all relates to what God was saying, what Jesus was saying to his disciples uh, prior to chapter 20, which we'll, we'll go back and look at. But if you would stand with me, we're going to read uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, because that is really where this uh, conversation starts. Um, well, where we pick it up anyway. It's really important that we include chapter, uh, chapter 1930, that verse, into the first verse of chapter 20 because it goes with it. And here's what it says. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the mar marketplace. And he <clears throat> said to them, you go in the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to, the, to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired, about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them was also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have bore the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last, to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And what a word it is, Lord, to speak to us about how generous and good you are to us, Lord. How all that we have in our lives is a result of your generosity because you're a gracious God and you love us. And yet there are times in our lives, Lord, where we can consider you unjust or unfair. Father, we pray this morning that you would deal with our hearts in this area, that you would draw us to yourself this morning, you would shape us, you would help us, Lord, to understand what it really means to be fair as it relates to your kingdom. Lord, we open ourselves up to you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come now and to teach us some truth this morning that will change our lives. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus begins teaching about the king about kingdom fairness through a proverb. A proverb is just a short, concise statement of wisdom. This particular proverb, though, is a riddle. Not all proverbs are riddles. You can read the book of Proverbs and you can see they're just really concise, short, short, straight to the point, you know, statements of truth. And yet sometimes they they take the form of a riddle, and, and this one is one of those. It takes the form of a riddle. But it's really straightforward if you think about it. What Jesus is saying about the first being last and the last being first is very straightforward. How many of you would believe that Jesus is saying that, that the first will be last and the last will be first, that, that that really is simply a method of maximizing your rewards in heaven? Anybody see it that way? Like, like this is really speaking about, you know, how I can maximize my rewards in heaven because we're supposed to store up our treasures in heaven and all. And so the way that we do that is by being last here on earth and then we'll be first in heaven. And, and you know, if we're being honest, I think some of you do believe that. And I think that that's the way that many approach that. That's how I understood this passage, you know, at a time in my life. Oh, well, yeah. And, and you know, the, we see it being worked out really in the church, don't we? Oh, you, you, you go to the, you know, the to church fellowship meal. You're like, oh, no, no, you go first. No, you go first. We know what you're doing. We know what you're doing. You're trying to store up treasures, man. Hey, hey, don't be a pirate. Let somebody else get some treasure, you know. Let somebody else say, no, you go first, you know. Oh, we go in the parking lot, and, and we're trying to get out of church. We're hungry, and, you know, really in our hearts, we're saying, you get out of my way, but you're saying, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, you go first, because I want to get my reward in heaven, right? It's the way that it's interpreted. It's the way that we look at it. But that's not what it means. To understand it that way would, to take, would be to take it out of context. But for us to understand what it means, we have to put it in context. And any time you come across a passage of Scripture that you that you're having trouble understand, you have to read before it and after it to put it in context so you understand what it means. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look at the context of what Jesus was talking about before we really get into the interpretation of the proverb. He was just uh, answering the question of the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The man was trying to keep the law. To, to get to heaven. He was trying to eat, earn eternal life by his own merit and the way that he lived his life. And, 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 you know, yet he was wanting. He was longing for something. He knew that he had not obtained what it, what it is that he desired. So he came to Jesus and asked. And Jesus, after pointing him to the truth of the reality that he was not a genuine law keeper like he thought, but actually, he was an idolater. He was an idol worshiper, and money was his god. He, he went away sorrowful. And then Jesus turned to his disciples at that point, and he said, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich uh, person to enter the kingdom of God. At that point, Peter was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Who in the world can be saved then, Jesus? And Jesus was like, Pete, 
listen, listen, everyone can be saved if they depend on God for the saving. You can't depend on yourself for salvation, but if you depend on God, it is possible for you to be saved because it is impossible for man to save himself. That's what he said. For what is impossible with man, salvation is possible with God. Jesus laid out the foundational truth that we are justified by faith right there as he dealt with this rich young ruler. And he was talking to his disciples. Well, Peter was like, well, okay, great. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, he says, well, see that we have left everything and followed you. Then what will we have? If they get salvation, what do we get? You know, he, he's, like, he, he, he's like really asking Jesus, like, how blessed am I going to be? And yet we ask Jesus that question at times. Jesus goes on to say, P-Dog, come on. You're going to be blessed in heaven. Don't worry about it. You're going to rule in the millennial reign over the children of Israel, over the 12 tribes. You're going to reign with, with me. So you don't, you don't worry about that. You will be rewarded for anybody, in fact, who has left their old life to follow me. They're going to receive a hundredfold and will inter, inter, inherit eternal life. Now, we hone in on the hundredfold, right? Anybody with me? Hundredfold. Amen. You know, I mean, we do that. We're like, yeah, I want the hundredfold, Lord. But what if the hundredfold doesn't mean what you think it means? Because Jesus is not talking about rewards here. He's talking about salvation. What he isn't talking about is how to get more rewards in heaven. He's talking about how to be saved. And the fact that when you come and follow him, you were given a hundredfold uh, you know, far more than what you deserve. You get salvation. You get to inherit eternal life. Uh, there's a reward for following Jesus. But what Jesus isn't saying is that the more you sacrifice, the more you get in the kingdom of God. That's not what he's talking about. That's an earthly mindset. That's how the world works. The more you do, the more you get. It's totally based on you. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. What Jesus wants us to understand is that although we all will sacrifice to follow Jesus, and our sacrifice will be different. Every one of us has, you know, we, we sacrifice differently to come to Christ. The reward for following him is the exact same. To follow Jesus means you get eternal life. You don't get more than that because you left something else. Because honestly, if you think about it, how could you compare? How could Jesus say, well, you get a hundredfold of what you left, right? The sacrifice. What we left is futile to God. What we're leaving is sin and we're leaving idolatry and we're leaving the flesh to gain the spirit. And God wouldn't compare that and say, well, you get a hundredfold. Well, I left a great job to come to Christ. Well, you get a hundredfold of the salary. No, that's not the way it works. You know, I left my family, Lord. To, you know, I left my mother and my father to come and follow you because they, they, they disowned me as a result of that. So you get, well, you get a hundredfold family, you know, in heaven. That's not the way it works. You get the same thing is the kid that is raised in the church his whole life, that comes to Christ at a young age and lives his entire life for Christ, never experiencing anything, not really ever having, you know, the genuine struggle that you had to come to Christ, and yet they get the same thing. 
And somehow we think that's unfair. Well, I should get more because I suffered more. No, Jesus suffered more. Jesus suffered far more. The hundredfold that you get is called eternal life. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You gain eternal life. Jesus is transitioning here when he says, Pete, the first will be last and the last will be first. He wants to talk about kingdom fairness. And what he's telling Peter is, if you think about that proverb, what is it saying? It's saying positionally they're in the same place. If you're first, you're last. But if you're last, you're first. It is not the Ricky Bobby thing. If you're not first, you're last, or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, but the reality is, if you're first, as it relates to following Christ, then you'll be last, but then you'll be first again. Everybody crosses the finish line at the exact same time and gets the exact same trophy. That's what he's saying. This is not some means of getting more reward in heaven. Now, now just don't misunderstand me. There are rewards in heaven. There are jewels that would be put into your crown. But those have nothing to do with following Christ. Those have to do with faithfulness to the works that he created you to walk in. You see, here's the bizarre thing, is that God calls us to salvation. We do nothing to get it, right? We believe on Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again from the dead, and it's all a work of him, not a work of us at all, right? Everybody agree with that? That's how we're saved, by grace through faith. So we do nothing for it. But somehow we get rewarded for good works, for being faithful, for being faithful to the works that, listen, God created you to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. You didn't work the works out. You didn't say, well, I'm going to be kind today and help this little old lady across the street. You didn't do that. God did that. You were just faithful to do what he said. Now, here's the kicker. You also don't have the ability to do those things. He gives you the ability to do them. So who created the good works? Tell me. God did. Okay. And who gives you the ability to do the good works? Okay. So who's really doing the good works? But who gets the credit? We do. Does that make sense? It's by grace, guys. Total grace. That God would reward us at all. And that's how we are rewarded in heaven is by our faithfulness to him. It has nothing to do with what we gave up to follow Christ. Because what you traded was incomparable to what you gained when you came to the foot of the cross. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's talking to his disciples here, and he's saying, Peter, you're not going to get anything more than anyone else for following me, but you do get eternal life. And what a reward that is. And then he goes in to say, Pete, the first are last and the last will be first. Now, Jesus transitions into a teaching on the kingdom of God here. He teaches, he, he transitions into, from a proverb into a parable. Now, what's a parable? A parable is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? And, and he's trying to tell his, his disciples, he's going to illustrate now how this truth works out in, the, you know, on the horizontal. How, something that we can understand because we don't get that. You know why? Because that's not the way our world works. Our world doesn't work that way. We live in, like, like just one example, your, your workplace. You know, most of, the, most of the workplaces in our country work on seniority. 
So the longer you're there, the more benefits you get, the more pay you get, you know, uh, the, the more secure your job actually is. And, and when somebody comes in and they get hired at your job and you, you know, you've been there for 20 years and you're making like, you know, 15 bucks an hour or whatever it is. And you get three weeks vacation and, um, you know, you, you have kind of a pick of what shift you want to work or whatever. So you're, you're like, yeah, man, I, I've got seniority. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. But then your job decides to, um, you know, change things up because people get a little comfortable when it's like that. And so what they do is they say, hey, you know, uh, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, we're going to base it on the ability of a person's, uh, you know, on, on work level, on somebody's skill, on, their, on their, their performance, right? And so they change it all up, and then some guy comes in, and he gets hired, and within a month he's moved to manager, and he's making, you know, 50000 a year salary, and, and, you know, he's got four weeks vacation, and, and you know, they're not getting rid of him because he's producing. And, uh, you know, the whole work floor is on is upset about it, and they're saying it's just unfair. Well, why is it unfair? Because that's the way our world works. Because our world thinks that when it's not pro-me, it's unfair. It's a self-centered world that we live in. And Jesus is saying we got to get, and, and the disciples, you and I included, are self-centered. I hope that wasn't a newsflash to you. God wants to tell us, God wants to deal with that self-centeredness in us. And he wants us to understand, listen, the kingdom and the way that it operates is totally different than the way that this world operates. And so I have to teach you even the elementary thing about how salvation works and the fact that you all get the same thing. So let me do that. And he illustrates that through a parable. And there's three things that I want to show you in, these, in this parable as it relates to the king of the kingdom and his fairness. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is the king is always equitable. The kingdom is fair because the king is fair, okay? So check this out, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard after agreeing uh, with, with the laborers for a denarius. A day he sent them into the vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right I'll give to you. So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand idle here all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So Jesus now illustrates this idea of the first being last and the last being first. That's why the bookends of this parable are that proverb. Because it's exactly to deal with th this issue. He's trying to help us to understand it. So he uses the idea of this master who went out into a vineyard. You know, vineyards were common. Uh, ancient Israel was an agrarian culture. They did a lot of farming and stuff. And so Jesus used a lot of parables. That's why you see the parable of the sower. You see a lot of the different things, the, the, the parable of the sheeps and the goats, all of these things because they are very agricultural, uh, you know, center and and so that was the way their culture worked and jesus wanted people to get it and so he used analogies he used illustrations that people would get now, we might not get the farmer analogy here but it's pretty simple when you think about it there's a master he owns a vineyard and he needs laborers for uh, his harvest now it was typical in this culture to have, you know, some slaves, um, servants on staff, you know, that were slaves that you, you know, that helped you out, you know, on your regular, you know, sowing and, and all that kind of stuff and watering. But when harvest came, 
they had to bring in extra help because what, what followed on the tail end of the harvest was the rainy season. And if they didn't get the harvest out of the fields fast enough, what was left there would be ruined. It would be destroyed by the weather. And so they would go to the, the, the center of town there, wherever they would live, and they would go and there would be people standing there waiting to work. They were called laborers. Now, these laborers are the lowest class of people that exist in this culture. They, they don't have a full-time job. They, they basically, their needs are hardly met. They are the poorest of the poor. They're unskilled. They're untrained. In fact, they are completely dependent upon the mercy and the grace of people coming to that place to hire them out. They don't even get to choose what they, what they make. They have to negotiate every day for the ability to make ends meet. Ends meet in that day was a denarius. One denarius. That was a good wage. That was a reasonable wage. That was something that a Roman soldier made. It was something that was, you know, you could get by on with a denarius for one day. So that would get you, that would give you a good living for one day. And so when you, when you would come to laborers like that, you wouldn't give them a denarius. you say, hey, I'll give you a half denarius for the normal work, work hours, which was 12 hours in a day. For 12 hours, I'll give you whatever. But it was generally less than a denar denarius, right? They, they would be able to negotiate these people down to nothing. It was a matter of whether or not they would eat that day. And so you could see the power. Someone could wait till, you know, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and then come in and say, oh, I'm, I, need a, I need four of you to come with me now, and I'm only going to pay you a quarter each, a quarter of a denarius each to go do the, the job that if I would have come at 6 a.m., I might have had to pay you more. But because I'm ruthless and I don't care about people, I'm going to do what, what's most advantageous for me. And so people got that in that culture. They understood what Jesus was talking about. We get the, we get the laborers. We get the pay thing. But a denarius? That seems awfully generous, Jesus. So anyhow, he tells about this man who, who says, yeah, I'll give you a denarius. He was a, he was a man that was a generous man. He was a good man. And he negotiated a rate that was very good for these people. And so at 6 a.m., he took some of them with him into his vineyard. He came back also at, at 9 o'clock a.m., and he took some more. And then he came back at noon, and he took some more. He came back at 3 o'clock, and he took some more. Then he comes back at 5 o'clock. The end of the workday is 6. So they work 6 to 6, 6 days a week, um, which is inhumane in our culture for some reason. But in Jesus' culture, Jesus is a construction worker, which works 6 to 6. But, you know, that doesn't work in our culture because people don't want to work hard. You know, and, and, and you know, it's, it's a wrong view of work. Because, just real quick, rabbit trail, but important, Jesus, when he put Adam in the garden, he intended him to work. Work wasn't part of the curse. Work is a good thing. God intended you to work. You will work for all of eternity. Work is a good thing. It's the way that we glorify God. We just have to make sure that our work does not become controlling and that it doesn't become our God. Because, you know, in our culture, the way that it works is, you know, we work, we excel, we get paid more. Now, that might be the end-all goal for you. But you know, for, for most of us, we just want to make a good living for our families so we can provide for our, our families, and that might require 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, whatever it requires. But in this culture, it was 6 to 6, Monday through Saturday. That's what they worked. Or, or actually, their Sabbath was Friday to Saturday. So they were, you know, they were what? Saturday through Sunday through Thursday. It was their, their work week. Okay, and they maybe got off half day on Thursdays to, or Fridays to, you know, honor the Sabbath. So this man would, would uh, 
he would go back and he would get these people and he would come at 5 o'clock p.m., one hour before it's closing because he was gauging his workload and he was saying, you know, we need more people. The time is short. It's important you understand what he's saying. Time is short. And I need more workers in the vineyard because the rain is coming and it will destroy. You get what he's saying? You see the parallel, what he's saying? What he's saying is that Jesus is coming back and God has sent laborers into the world to reap the harvest. And, you know, he's going to send more and more before the time comes. And he has sent more and more. It started with 12. Look how many disciples he sent into the, into the harvest today. Millions. Millions and millions of people. Billions, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how many people are genuine Christians. God knows that number, though. But he sent a lot of workers into the vineyard because he cares about the harvest. Because the harvest is people. Now, so Jesus is making this analogy with him, and he's saying at, at the last, notice the, the negotiation for those who, who come to him at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., those, those last four groups, there is no negotiation. They, they basically, the, the owner goes up to him, the master goes up to him and says, I'll give you what's right. Come with me. Now, I, I don't know if, it, listen, that's not a good way to negotiate your salary. I'll give you whatever. And you're just like, okay. You know, no, don't do that. But, but in this case, in this culture, that's the way it worked. The, the longer the day would go on, you, you didn't have a choice. You needed to work. You needed to get money to pay your, to be able to get food. And so uh, they, did, they were depending upon the uh, equity of the man, the fairness of the, of, the, of the master at this point. They must have known something about him to think because, again, you know, in this culture, people would get what he's saying. Wait a second. They didn't negotiate their salary. They just went. He wouldn't have to pay them hardly anything if he didn't want to. Yeah, if he was unfair, he could do that. But this man was a fair man. He was an equitable man. He's not a swindler. He's not looking to take advantage of these people. Um, he is looking to help them. He's looking to be generous with them. That is God to us. God is equitable, guys. He is not unjust. He is just in everything that he does. And he loves you and he cares about you. And he wants to be generous with you because he's a generous God. And yet so oftentimes we can, we can complain to him about how unfair he's being to us. In Ezekiel chapter 18, God sent Ezekiel to deal with the sin of Israel. And one of the sins that they were dealing with was this very thing. They called God unjust. You realize when you call God unjust, you're attacking his character. You're saying you're not perfect, God, but you're unjust. And it has to do with the way that I in perceiving my situation. Can I just say that however you are perceiving your situation, that it is never acceptable to say God is unjust? It's never acceptable to say that God isn't generous? It's never acceptable to say that God isn't good? That's sin. And that's what, that's what Ezekiel calls it in, in Ezekiel chapter 18. The problem is our understanding we don't understand the goodness of God. We don't understand the equity of God. We don't understand the fairness of God. And because of that, we blame him. God's not okay with us attacking his character. He's not okay with that. He's, at, he's okay with you asking questions. He's okay with you, you know, you, you know, coming to his throne room 24-7 boldly and, 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 you know, laying your requests before him, but he's not okay with you attacking his character. 
And I would venture to say you're not okay with people attacking your character either, are you? Yeah, so we get why God would be like that, because he is perfect. Kingdom fairness is found in the fact that the king is always equitable. He, 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 and not only that, but he's also always faithful. Look at verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers to pay their, them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have bore the burden of the day in the scorching heat. If you've ever worked in a workplace in America, you know it's never okay to disclose your salary with people. It's never okay to disclose your, what you're making with people. That is a great way to start a riot at work. You know, you start telling people what you make. You know, hey, what'd you get for a bonus? Man, you know, I don't even know what I did, but I got 500, 500 bucks, what? And all of a sudden it's across the floor. Everybody knows about it. And they're in the manager's office and Scotty's getting screamed at. And he's like, man, I don't, what did I do? I didn't give him out. I don't know what's going on here. You know, and, and because we, we don't know how to handle that because that's unfair to us. And yet little do you know that that person did such an incredible job for the company that they deserved more. But how unfair that he would get more than me, right? Oh, that's, that's like touching a little bit of the, the humanness of us, right? Because we, we know what that feels like. I, I, why do they get more? In the kingdom of God, nothing is hidden. Nothing. God discloses all. He'll disclose what you get. He'll tell people, here's what this person got and here's what that person got. And he does, it doesn't really matter because the way that the kingdom works is not the way the world works. The fairness of the kingdom is not the fairness of our world. And God's not worried about stepping on your toes. Oh, no, what will they do? Not overtake heaven, I promise. There is no strikes. He's not worried about that. He's He's transparent because he's a transparent God. He tells you what's expected. He tells you what the reward is for that expectation. And you have the opportunity and the privilege to do what you like with it. Jesus tells uh, of this master who grabs his foreman to pay these men. And he starts with the last first. And so everyone's standing around and this foreman is about to give out. the, the And so he starts with those who came at 5 p.m., They've only worked one hour, and, and, and he says, okay, the, all the, the people at 5 p.m., just come on up here, line up, here's your denarius, here's your denarius, here's your denarius, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, did he say denarius? And, Pete, you know, you could hear the rumble in the background, a denarius, man, we've been here for 12 hours, a denarius an hour, is that what he said? A denarius an hour, whoa, this is like unheard of, this is 12 days wages, this is insane, beware of silent expectations. Beware of expectations that start welling up in your heart and then because the crash is coming. Don't let yourself go down that road of starting to dream about what you deserve because they're getting that. <laughs> Take every thought captive and only hold on to what is good. That's not good information to hold on to. Dreaming about what you get. Because who's the center of that dream? Not Jesus. You are. And so uh, what, what ends up happening is, is these guys are like, well, man, I, I mean, 
they get a denarius, we must get way more than that. That's what Peter was saying. Lord, what will we get? Since we've bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat, what will we get? We're, 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 we're um, you know, burdening, we, we have the burden of the persecution that's happening. We're trying to spread the gospel. We're doing all this stuff under heavy persecution. What will we get? Look at the sacrifices we're making for you. Oh, you get a denarius too. What? Denarius? You gave them a denarius, and, and these guys start complaining about it. As if God is not being faithful to what he said. God is faithful, and he does what he says. And when he says something, he means it. And he does exactly what he said he would do. And when you come to him with something, and he tells you something, you could take it to the bank. But how dare you accuse him of being unfair for allowing your expectations to build upon what you thought it would be versus what he said it would be? That's what people do with God's word. Well, God, you said you would heal me, and so I'm upset with you because you're so unfair to me. He is healed you. You are healed in Christ. You are going to heaven. Did he say that he would heal you here and now forever? No, he did not. He said he would heal you eternally. You will be with him in, he in heaven forever healed now, he does that sometimes in people's lives, and we don't get it, and that's the generosity of God, and he has a plans, and we don't question those plans. We know that he knows what he's doing, and so we rest in that. But we don't start to build our expectations on what God is doing in somebody else's life and say, well, that was the promise of God. No, God didn't promise them anything. He didn't promise them a denarius, but he gave them one. He did promise you a denarius, and he gave you what he promised because he's faithful. What is happening here is God is giving them what they need. I hope you realize that the master in the story is, is God, the Father, and that he's the one orchestrating it. The foreman is probably Jesus, who's giving out the, the rewards. Jesus is the one that will, will judge the world. It'll be him. The laborers are us, if you haven't figured it out. And the vineyard is the kingdom of God. And he's saying, look, in my kingdom, the way it works is I do what I say. And I give people what they need. And what every one of you needs is a denarius to live. That's what you need. I don't, give you, I don't have to give you more than what you need, but I'm going to give you what you need. Now, that is a promise of the Bible. I will provide your needs. He will provide for you. He will give you what you need. He didn't say he'll give you what you want, but he did say he would give you what you need. And so we say, Lord... Looks like I can live on a lot less than I thought, right? Because God is a provider, and he provides, and he gives us what we need. And, and here he's giving each person a denarius because that's what they need. It's what they need to be able to sustain their life for another day. And these guys were completely dependent upon this master to do that, particularly the ones that never negotiated a salary with him. The ones he told he would give the denarius to, he did exactly what he said he would do. And yet there's rumbling and complaining about it. The king is always, he is always equitable and he is always faithful. And thirdly, he is always generous. Look at verse 13. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker 
as I gave to you, am I not allowed to do uh, what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's easy to get disappointed when you let your expectations get out of hand, folks. When you start to compare yourselves, your walk with God with other people, you allow those false expectations to be built up, and, and then you start to attack the, 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 the character of God and his generosity. And you start to say, well, you're just unfair because you're not giving me what they got. Um, the Bible says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to weep with those who are weeping. So that means that we care so much about each other, that we love each other so much that we actually are, it's as if we're one, because Jesus said, I and you are one, the Father and I are one, and you also be one in me. And so we're his body, and we're supposed to be one. And so when one, somebody gets blessed, man, we should all be rejoicing over that. Praise God. And, but what happens? A lot of times we wonder, why aren't you doing that to me, God? What am I doing wrong? Maybe I need to read my Bible more. Maybe I need to do this more. Maybe Is it by works that he got it in the first place? Wait, it's generosity. Oh, okay. But I don't like that kind of generosity, only if it's towards me then it's okay. I like it when God's generous with me, but I don't like it when he's generous with other people. That is the flesh that we have to get rid of. That is the process of sanctification that God is, God is saying, you know, let's continue to reckon the old man dead. Let's get the flesh out of the way. Let's let the spirit uh, walk in the spirit. Let the spirit, um, you know, elevate in your life. Let him control you. All these kind of things. Don't let the flesh, because if you do, even as a disciple of Christ, you will, you will consider to attack God's character. Uh, and so, uh, you know, G Jesus says that this master goes to these people and he addresses it and he says, hold on a second, don't get mad at me because I'm being generous. I did what I promised to do. And then he says the principle is this. The first will be last and the last will be first. I gave you what you wanted, but listen, at the end of the day, you all finish equal. You all finish equal. Well, well that, sound, that seems like socialism, not when it comes to salvation. Not when it comes to salvation. Because here's the deal is, you, you can't earn it. You can't labor for it. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care how, this is not speaking of an unbeliever working in a vineyard. He's talking about believers who are already in Christ. None of us deserve what he's given, man. You know what's unfair? Really? What's unfair is that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, who would live a sinless life and then would be pinned to a tree, beaten beyond recognition, would be th a, th a spear thrust into his side. Would, he would die, you know, a ridiculous death, a criminal's death for your behalf so that you could be saved. That's unfair. That's ridiculously unfair. But at the same token, that is incredibly generous of God, is it not? So why would we get upset with him? when he's trying to work out things that he knows what he's doing in a person's life, why would we get upset with him? Why wouldn't we rejoice that he has been so generous to us? Jesus wants all of us to know as it relates to salvation that it doesn't matter when you come to Christ. If you're two years old, if you're five years old, if you're you know, 20 years old, 50 years old, 90 years old, that if you come to Christ, you get the same thing everybody else gets. There are no levels to heaven. There is no differentiation between, you know, uh, when you were saved and how long you served God as it relates to the, the, the crown of salvation that you get because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no, uh, you know, there, there is no bigger reward than salvation itself. 
There's no elite lounge in heaven. You can't get more frequent flyer points for being more frequent traveler and get, you know, passes to go in various different places in heaven behind the scenes, you know, get a free uh, tour with Jesus because, you know, you served him for 50 years. You know, the silver club is over here and the gold club is over here. None of that exists in heaven because God is not a respecter of persons, but he's a respecter of himself. And he does exactly what he says he's going to do. And he promised you eternal life. And if you put your faith in him, you will get it. But don't expect more. Don't expect him to give you a higher level of heaven because you came to him earlier in life or whatever. Or you, you sacrificed more than somebody else. That is humanism, selfism. That's me being the center of everything. How about we put him in the center? And we just praise him for what he's done in your life. Even if you were not to do another thing in your life, he's already done so much. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for, Lord, for taking the time to give us the teachings on these kingdom principles and, and, and characters. And we thank you, characteristics. We thank you so much, Lord, for this particular one that is so applicable to us, Lord. Because every one of us has been in a place where, where we have considered, maybe you're being unfair with me, Lord. Maybe you're unjust in this one thing. I didn't deserve this, and yet you allowed it into my life. You, you could have stopped it, but you didn't. And so I'm upset with you. And yet you would say to us, is not your life mine? Can I not do with it what I will? Did I not pay for it? Have I not been generous with you? And you would say to us this morning, God, to, not get our, to stop looking at the world and looking at each other and comparing ourselves to that and just to consider what you've done, Lord. You've done so much for us. You are so generous to us. You are a good God. You are an equitable God. You are a faithful God. And you are a generous God. And we want to give you praise and honor for that this morning, Lord. Would you crucify the sinful flesh within us that wants to war with your spirit, Lord? Would you help us to die to ourselves today and rejoice in those who are being blessed? Lord, we're just asking you even now by your spirit to just do the work in our hearts that is necessary as it relates to this because you were talking to Peter here. What you've given is far more than we deserve, Father. And we thank you for it. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, to just uh, praise you in every, every situation, every circumstance, Lord. And uh, we just ask you would continue this work today, Lord, as we close in this song, Lord, as your spirit moves in us, that we just respond to you today. Maybe it's a need to ask for forgiveness because of how we have considered, you know, maybe attacked you in some way, shape, or form. Lord, maybe it's today is the day that we need to call upon you as Lord and Savior, that we need to obtain the generosity of God and to receive that which he has for us this morning. And, and so, Lord, as we close, we ask that your spirit would move. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.